0: Blessed be the name of the Lord. Love that song. Thank you, Brenda, for that. Would you stand with me for the reading this morning? Yeah, we are in the final message of Big Rocks First. Hopefully you've been here for the whole series, and if it's your first time, we're delighted to have you. Uh, our previous sermons in this series are available on iTunes and also at centennialministries.org. Centennial yeah, we're headed to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. And we'll start our reading at verse number 42. Luke chapter 12 verse number 42. And the Lord said, "Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season?" Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if, that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, it shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day, When he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required." And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Today we're going to talk about responsibilities and stewardship and how that's one of the big rocks you've got to get into your lives early this year. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. It's not a mystery to know your will. And I pray that we would know it today. That we would be secure in the fact that you have things for us to do on this earth. We have responsibilities as managers of your stuff. Guide us now in this message. Help us to keep these things in perspective. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Kathy's going to sing a song today called My Tribute. And it's a song that's been around for many years. But it really gets to the heart of our message this morning. How could I say thanks for the things you've done for me? Would you listen as she sings?
1: the things you have done for me, things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love to me, the voices of a millionaire could not express my gratitude all that I am or ever hope to be I owe it all to you to God be the glory to God Be the glory let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to Thee. And if I give That's right.
0: The Lord for that message and the song. If you enter this world with nothing and you leave this world with nothing, it's safe to assume that nothing really belonged to you. And you definitely get to manage some resources while you're here, but in the end, that's all you did. You weren't really an owner. And we're going to see this morning: everything available to us is a gift. It's received from God, whether it's days or influence or abilities or resources. So how is it that so many times the servant starts to feel like he's the master, just like we read in the parable? Even when we know what God's will is for us to do with stuff, we struggle to do it. Yeah. So this morning we're going to look in your notes at, Four different parts of stewardship that are so uh, so vital yet yeah, so huge to us. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Let's start by saying redeem the time. Redeem the time. Time is one of the great gifts that's given to mankind. Yet it seems that no asset is easier to waste than time. After all, you'll get a brand new 86,400 seconds to use again tomorrow, right? Why is it so hard to make the best use of time? Look again, if you would, and not to Luke, but go back with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And there's another passage as we begin to talk about stewardship. This is an incredible passage that deals with the resource of time. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse number 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now that's a, that's a tough word. It just means to walk watchfully. You ever seen somebody who wasn't watching where they were walking? Right? And they ran into you. Or maybe they were texting. Uh, or they were checking their Facebook in the mall and they ran right into you. See them that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, look at verse 16 again. We get this first phrase, redeeming the time. We're going to hit that in a second. But look at the second part. It says, because the days are evil. Now, the days are evil. Now, we relate that to society, and that's certainly true. But the days are evil when it comes to the moments and the seconds and the minutes and the hours of our own days. And not, just, not just saying the world is evil, we're evil. Our flesh is evil. It's rotten. It wants to waste time. And I want you to picture a, a tug-of-war With opportunity in the middle of it. And on one side of of the rope is you. And you're trying to seize that opportunity. You're trying to pull it to your side. On the other side is the evil day that we just described. Trying to steal more of your time. Now that's how we'd probably see this issue. But that's not at all a true picture. See, opportunity isn't in the middle Opportunity isn't on neutral ground. Opportunity is sitting over here in hostile territory, and it has to go and be claimed. It has to be redeemed. So every second that you're going to use for God, you have to go take it away from the evil day. You have to go and steal it from the evil day. You have to redeem it from the evil day because the days are evil. And because they are evil, the opportunities we have to do good and to bring glory to God are already on autopilot on a course to be swallowed up by busyness and by our worldly mindsets. Our days are programmed. They're already in place to be wasted. Because the days are evil, if we just go with the flow of our culture, we're going to lead wasted lives. Because the days are evil our sin nature is the default owner and decision maker concerning these precious windows of time we have to make a difference on the earth. That's why being present with an eternal focus is a spiritual manager's toughest task. The hardest thing for a Christian to steward is time. And it's just incredibly difficult. Especially in the internet age You know what I'm saying? You could be looking for something really important and valuable And you do a Google search You're trying to find out this Bible study item And all of a sudden you're reading about You know, why the Titanic sunk Or all of a sudden you're reading about You know, why the earthworm burrows in February In a different way than he does in March now, How many of you would even be interested in that? Yeah, see, I'm kind of one of those weird people like Trusting. So, not saying you're weird, just saying I'm weird, and you're kinda of in, in that with me. We we get sidetracked so easily, and, and we get into places where time is just being taken away from us. We have to understand what the will of the Lord is, the passage says. The will of the Lord is to be wise, to walk circumspectly, to walk watchfully. And this passage seems to relate to us that fools just allow their seconds and minutes and hours and days to be wasted. Fools do that. But stewards redeem them. I want you to imagine for just a second a bank that guarantees you a penny for every second of every day. All right, think about it for a minute. That's 86,400 pennies a day. Now, would that help anyone in here? 86,400 pennies a day, which, if you're doing the math, $864 a day, right? $36 an hour. Not too bad, right? How many could use $36 an hour? I mean, good grief. That'd that'd be terrific. 86,400 when it all adds up. Now, the only catch is... You have to be present to claim the reward. you got to be present. A penny will drop every second. If there's no one there to catch it, it's gone. It goes down the hole. No carryover from day to day. All you have to do is be present. Now, don't you think about that? You gotta, you, you'd be present. Some of you would be with your, your jar, Right? Say, honey, it's your turn to catch the time today. And yeah, you get your jar, okay. Hey, just got 1,800 pennies. Yay, that's enough to pay the gas bill in July, right? <laughs> July. <laughs> if it's in the winter, you're going to have to sit there for a few hours. But think about it. It's, it's dripping. It's dribbling. You got to catch it. And if you walk off and leave it, and you say, you know what? I'm going to go check Facebook for a while. I'm going to go check the Twitter feed to see what's going on. There they go. Drop. 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 It's the same way with our time. You know, once that second's gone, you don't get it back. Never. The only way you even get to use it is if you put it into a present tense mode that was valuable. It's the only way you get to get it back. The only way you get to use it for anything of value is if you catch it. Time, exactly like this. Only valuable if you're present. We've already talked in the Big Rock's first series about getting the important things in the jar every day before the jar fills up with trivial things. Time is a gift from God. It's not guaranteed. If you don't redeem it, it's gone. But you know, if you're a steward of God, you're going to be present in the roles God has given you each day. Think about how we divide our time. I would encourage you, if you're ever frustrated with this, i give you a challenge that could change your life. Like it literally may depress you. Get out a little notebook or a paper. Cost you 99 cents at the 99 cent store. Right, get, get out the paper And just put your whole life For one week into 15 minute segments Right, And then Force yourself for one week To put down what you did In every one of those 15 minute segments That will change your life You know why? Because that three hours That you wasted on television On Monday night Is going to be in the book that two hours that's gone, I just don't even know where it went. It's in the book. And if you start getting those 15-minute segments for real, you're going to find out where your time dripped, where it dropped, where it's gone. It's so much of our time. i tell you what, it's hard, but so much of our time is gone. It's just wasted. And as managers who are... Using God's resources Your time is a gift from God We have to take care of it We have to do better with it The Bible says This is the day which the Lord hath made This day's a gift These moments are a gift And we've got to get the big things in first Every day Not just every year But every day We've got to make sure Hey, got to get that time in where I walk with God Got to get that time in where I read the Scripture and where I study the Scripture and, and where I pray and where I spend time with my family and take the different roles of your life and make sure that you are invested the right way with the moments that you have. Now, you say, Pastor, this sounds like a motivational conference. You know, it's, it's God's Word. It, he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So this is a big one, redeem the time. I want you to hear the second one. Recognize the testimony. Recognize the testimony. And I want to see three word pictures from the Bible regarding the personal testimony that you've been given by God's grace to use for God's glory. Because of your unique design and your unique experiences, God has given you both the means and the circumstances. To impact lives around you. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would, chapter 5. And this is in a a place in Scripture that uh, most people would call the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why it's called that is because Jesus preached a sermon on a mount. Right? So (laughs) there's nothing crazy about the title. It's just where he was. It's what he said. These are the words of Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible that shows the words of Jesus... Just just about everything in these chapters five through seven is in red. Matthew five, now look at verse number thirteen, we see this first one. Ye are the salt of the earth. So you, you you who believe in Jesus, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor or his saltiness, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. That's where that phrase come from, came from. You ever heard somebody say that? He's a good for nothing dog. Right? You ever heard that, Hoss? He's a good for nothing worker. These are good for nothing overhauls. Right? they don't connect, he's heard it right there. Okay, the rest of you people need to catch up in the sermon. Hoss is with us. Good for nothing. But to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. So, salt that's not salty is as valuable as dirt. Wow. It's incredible. It's a huge verse, it's a backbreaking verse. We see that spiritual managers understand that they are the salt of the earth. I mean, spiritual managers. Managers, they get it. Jesus said, hey, your role, one of your areas of stewardship is the fact that you're salt. You're salt of the earth. Now, salt can do a lot of things. In fact, um, this is one of the deals where Trusting it happened to me where I Googled, what does salt do? Like, Kind of like, what does the fox say? <laughs> what, what does salt do, right? And uh, it's, it had pulled all of these articles, 49 things that salt does. What? 49 things. I and mean, I thought it was the deal where you take the shaker and, you know, tastes good. 49 things. I won't tell you what all they were. Because some of them were crazy. Like, pour salt on a loofah and rub it on your face and you, you know, you'll have no skin. Or something. I, it's doing weird stuff with salt. But salt, from, from ancient times, was used to clean and purify. That's what it was used for. To clean and purify, it was used to preserve. It was certainly add to, to, use, to add flavor. And then it could also be used to promote health in many parts of the body. Um, in fact, there's a recent study by the American Medical Association that says that salt is actually, wait for it, good for you. Right? We've been... Told for all these years, don't take too much salt; it'll kill you. Now, some people do put a little too much on. Like if you, if you're one of the people that you don't just shake the the deal, but you take the top off and pour, that's too much salt, right? Maybe maybe too much. You're gonna um, actually season and shrivel up the meat on your body. Be like in the they do in the what are they called? The smokehouse. Right? That's you. Some of you look like you came from a smokehouse because you've had so much salt. But salt is good for you. It's what they're saying now. And they change their mind every week on this medical stuff. Coffee's good for you, and then it's bad for you. And then omega-3, great for you. You should take it. And then I read this week, omega-3, people who take it die sooner. If you lived your life by the medical journals, you would be freaked out every day. Can I just give you some advice? God knows the exact time of your death, and He's purposed it from the foundation of the world. So eat, drink, and be merry wisely. (laughs) Did I say that right? Try to be wise in what you're doing, but don't freak out at the medical journals. So your salt... And, and the thing is, it's a stewardship where God says, okay, I want you to watch this. your salt. I want you to measure it. I want you to make sure you keep your saltiness. If you lose your saltiness, you are worthless. Now, I'm not going to say this on my own. I think this is from Scripture. A lot of Christians have a worthless testimony, and it does nothing for anyone. It doesn't help anyone. It's as good as dirt. And God wants our testimony to be valuable. He wants us to have influence. Spiritual managers also understand another thing. Not just that they're salt, but they are the light of the world. Look at the very next verse. Ye are the light of the world. So there it is. Jesus said, you're salt. Then he said, you're light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now look at this. A city that is set on a hill. That means it is strategically placed. Okay, It doesn't say a city that just happened to be on a hill. It says a city that's set on a hill. So God has strategically placed you. Keep going, verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. So it's kind of like with your flashlight or your phone light. You don't turn it on and then put something over the top of it. We we get this. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You have a stewardship. God has purposely placed you to shine as light. Here's the, the tough deal about this. Many times that means you might be subjected to a dark place. See, if you are set to be light, God might put you in a dark neighborhood. God might put you in a dark workplace. God may put you on a dark venture that you would never have assumed was going to happen in your life, or your extended family, or your group of friends. Sometimes you're going to be around pagan, dark people i meet christians god bless them they're striving so hard to not be like the world that they never even talk to a non-believer that's not the stewardship of light that's not what jesus intended for us we're supposed to reach the world we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature as light And and so instead of giving up because of the wicked personalities or the horrible environment you're around, be a manager of the testimony God's given you. At your school where there are kids who are involved in all these different groups and atheists and and Wiccans and and, uh, people who don't even have any clue and they're confused, you you could either say, you know what, I'm checking out, I'm not going to try anything or you could be a light to those people you could use God's working in your life to work in the lives of others so salt light then there's another one I want you to go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 another thing that spiritual managers understand is that they are heavenly ambassadors heavenly ambassadors now um, I, hopefully you know what an ambassador is It's not something we hear much about Unless it's about Benghazi now, We don't really know what ambassadors are sometimes But ambassadors Are people who are sent by one nation To go to another nation And represent That's what they are They're sent to, to another nation To represent and, uh, and that's what we are Second Corinthians chapter 5 Verse number 18 and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I love that. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? Hope is our business. That's our business. Say, what do you do? I'm a hope guy. What does that mean? I help people find hope. Well, how do you do that? Well, God the Father wants you to know that he loves you through Jesus Christ. And he wants wants to bring you back to himself. Oh, that's what you do. That's what I do. Hope is my business. And that's what we do. Verse 19. Easy for me to say. Verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, look at this, reconciling the world unto himself Not imputing their trespasses unto them. So that means we didn't get what we deserved. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we speak hope. Now then, here it is, verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Hope is our business. We've been given a mandate to let those around us know that God made Jesus to become sin for us. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. And good stewards realize that a testimony for Christ takes a lifetime to build, but it only takes a moment to lose. And so they guard their reputation as Christ followers. See, all that influence you've gained at your workplace could be lost in one moment with a person if you're dishonest or if you tell a dirty joke or if you let that word slip out that you shouldn't say. Your testimony is something to keep record of. It's something to manage. It's something to value. And it's a responsibility and stewardship. But then I want you to notice this third area. Respect the talents. Respect the talents. I'm sure you know the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And so we're gonna go there. Now you might not know that that's the reference, but I think once you get there, you're gonna remember the story. Okay, you've probably heard this story before. Matthew 25. Jesus told this story uh, on the Mountain Olivet or the Mount of Olives. Matthew 25, verse number 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants. So he was the owner, and he called his servants, and delivered unto them his goods. So he was going to give them his stuff. That's what it means. The owner was going to divvy out his stuff. Verse 15. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two talents. To another one. To every man according to his... Now I circled this in my Bible. To his several ability. Right? So according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two so the talents and abilities that God delivered to you are custom made to be just your size. God gave you exactly the number of talents that you should have. According to the way that you've been created, He placed it on you. And God, you know, He's never given anybody more talents than what His will could not take care of. We've heard in the news this week, and one of my kids even brought it up to me the other day. He said, Dad, did you hear that Justin Bieber got arrested? i like, Son, I didn't even know you knew who Justin Bieber is. Yeah, yeah, I heard at school. Somebody talked about it. I said, Well, what did he do? I already he knew, but I was testing him. He said, Dad, he got drunk and took drugs, and then he raced cars in the middle of the night. I said, well, that probably wasn't a smart thing to do. No, that was a bad thing to do. And we talked about it from a minute. Justin Bieber. Who thought I would talk about him at church? You say, Pastor, um, what do you think about that kid? I think somebody needs to help him. That's what I think. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of ability. And he's wasting his life. Because his talents being managed see he thinks he's bigger than his talents but but really he's not defined by his talents his talents aren't who he is he's somebody else in his soul he's a real life human being it's the same way with us you're custom made god made you with certain talents and they fit you like a glove they're part of your dna you're fearfully and wonderfully made To manage the skill set with which you've been blessed. And so, when you covet the capabilities of others, you're missing out on your stewardship. Like some of you kids say, if I could be Justin Bieber, I'd do it different. Right? If I had that kind of talent or that kind of money, I'd manage it the right way. Well, actually, God made you just who you are. Right? He made you just the way you are, and he gave you the talents that you need to influence people for the kingdom of God. And jealousy says, and it kind of cries out and says, God, you could have made me like him. You could have made me like her. You could have made me taller. You could have made me shorter. You could have made me skinnier. You could have made me whatever. And jealousy isn't, we start to think, well, it's a problem with another human being. It's not. It's actually a problem with God. It's a resentment against God that says, God, you didn't do right by me. It's a problem between you and the Creator. And you're upset about the way God's gifted you. And, uh, you know, it happens here. We see it in the passage. And one guy got five. You know, everybody hates that guy. Right? Everybody says, man, if I had the talents that guy had, I would have made a million dollars when I was 26 years old. Right, but when you were 21 years old, you didn't pay your electric bill. So that's on you. And uh, you lost your job, and you didn't do what you were supposed to do with your two talents. Now, I'm a firm believer that most of us have two talents. Right? Most of us are twofers. You know why? Because we look at the fivers, and we say, ah, that's not right. So we're twofers, And then there's some one-fers. We'll talk about them in a minute. But most of the twifers, they're, they're looking at other people and they're saying, if I had that, I would be this. And if I was married to her, I'd do this. And if they were my parents, I'd do this. And, and here's the deal. You are not. God puts you where you're at for a reason. You have a stewardship. He wants you to be salt and light and an ambassador where you're at. And He gave you the talents that you need to accomplish his will in you. But you know, there's another issue when it comes to gift stewardship. Look at verse 18. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So the one fur. And when you hide the special talent that God bestowed on you, you are dishonoring the giver. You are trampling on God's purpose for your life. Some of you are sitting on a gift that could be used in this local church to build up believers or to make disciples or to prepare the next generation to follow Jesus and you have it hidden. One day you're going to give account for your stewardship. When I stand before God, I so want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So, you know, for that to happen, I'll have to get serious about the time God's given me. I'll have to guard the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I'll have to use my abilities and gifts for kingdom purposes. Stewardship is a very sober task, it's a serious deal. To think that God has placed within your use His good and perfect gifts, it's a little overwhelming. And to say, God, how could I be a good manager for you? How could I take the resources you've allowed me to have and use them to affect the kingdom? Listen, when you, when you first give yourself to God, all other giving's easy. If you put yourself on the altar... Everything else falls into place When God has your heart He's going to have your seconds When God has your heart He's going to have your influence And your talents and your abilities And when God has your heart God's also going to have your stuff That's what we want to talk about last When God has your heart He's going to have your stuff And the fourth part, render the tithe Render the tithe And I just lost some of you when I said that word Pastor, I don't believe in that yeah, look, I don't want to get this section of the message to be a theological discussion about the origin and meaning of the tithe. All right, please turn to Leviticus 12 and Deuteronomy 7. We could do that like all day. All right, go through that. Tithe just means, here's what it means. It means a tenth. That's all it means, 10%. You can study on your own and find in Scripture, if you'd be open and honest to Scripture, here's what you'll find. The tithe was talked about before the law was ever given. It's just plain and simple. The tithe was talked about before the law was ever given. Where was it, Pastor? Tell me. Genesis 14. Right? It's Genesis 14. Abraham tithed hundreds of years before there was ever a law. Okay? It was continued as a principle in the law. And then Jesus mentioned it in his teachings. And it's referred to again many years after the resurrection of Jesus. In Hebrews. And I look, I can't tell you what other people's experiences are. But I can tell you my own experiences. And I have never once met a Christian who struggled with tithing of his resources that ever continued on a path of victorious discipleship. I'm just being blunt with you. I've never known anybody who didn't put this issue to rest who ever grew in the Lord. They always stayed at this same stage as a toddler Christian. And uh, I'm not mad at them. I'm not upset at you if you struggle with this issue. But today I want to help you put the issue to rest. It's not a difficult issue. If you're a child of God and you understand stewardship and you understand God is the owner of everything, this is not a tough issue at all. And so I want to look at it here as we finish up the message today. You won't find a Christian that takes the next steps of discipleship and stewardship without this foundational issue already settled. Yeah, I know that the question always is, well, so you mean God wants my money? That's, that's the big question, right? Well, we could really dispute that it's your money in the first place since you won't take it with you when you go and since everything belongs to God. But I I won't dispute that with you right now. But I will assure you something. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want to take your money. He just doesn't want your money to take you. See what I'm saying? God doesn't want to take your money. He just doesn't want your money to take you. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. And if you ever read in 1 Timothy 6, here's what you find out. People who go for the love of money are the most miserable people on earth. The most miserable people on earth. The love of money, the root of all evil. One of the primary ways to keep money lust from taking over your temporary time here on earth is to have a generous heart toward God. And I could read to you in Malachi 3 where where God says, You people have robbed me. What do you mean, God? We haven't robbed you. When did we rob you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. And and then in Malachi 3.10, you've probably heard this verse before, but here's what it says. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God can't honor you until you respect the financial principles He's given you to observe. Okay, he, he just can't. It's it's according to His laws, and His spiritual laws say that He can't honor you. He can't bless you the way you would be blessed. And as Americans, we often fall into this trap of thinking we don't have enough. We really do. We we think well, we don't have enough if I could have a little more, then I'd have enough. And then we get a little more and we say, if I could have a little more, then I'd have enough. And if you ask somebody who makes $50,000 a year, what is rich? You know what they're going to say? Somebody who makes 100000 a year. And if you ask somebody who makes 100000 a year, well, what's rich to you? Well, somebody who makes 200000 a year. Right? And somebody who's rich always makes more than they have right now. And we don't realize we're rich. You go to other parts of the world, it's just so stunning to go to other places. And if you told them, you know, here's what we do in America. We have in our yard grass, and it's green, and it's green because every night or every morning, we have this system that comes on and sprays water all over it. They would think that you just walked from the planet Mars. You know why? Why? Because their yard is this stuff called dirt. And their water, you know where they get it? From down at the local pump where they have to walk down and carry it on their head. So they think, what in the world are you talking about? Our our friend Justice Banwell from India told this story. It's so funny. He first came to America about 30 years ago. And he he stayed with these people um, in Louisiana at their house. And it was during the winter... And uh, so he was sitting in their living room, and the guy went over and flicked a switch on that made the fireplace come on. Right? And Justice said, uh, he said, oh, you use that to cook? And the guy said, no, no, we don't use it to cook. He said, oh, you use it to make heat. The guy said, um, no, we, we don't use it to make heat. And Justice said, well, what do you do with it? And the guy said, well, we... He looked at his wife like, we watch it. <laughs> Justice said, you, you watch it? Yeah, we, we watch it. you know what we do with most of the resources we have? We watch them. That's what we do. We watch them. And we actually begin to watch them with worry. Like the more you have, the more you worry about if there's a flood or if there's a fire or if there's a thief. Why? Because you got more stuff. As Americans, we don't know this because especially if we haven't been anywhere, but we are rich. Now, I'm going to give you two figures that stunned me when I looked this up, when I saw this. If your household makes more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of income earners in the world. If you make... 37,000 a year for your whole household or more, you are in the top 4% of income earners in the world. Listen to this next one. Uh, This is unbelievable. If your household income is higher than $48,000 a year, which is most people in this room, you are in the top 1% of income earners in the world. That means if you line them up, The world population and their families, every 99 people, 99 persons, are poorer than you are. Sitting here in America. Unbelievable. Please let me tell you you're rich. You're rich. But it's not what you have, it's not what counts. It's what you do with what you have that counts. Let me give you practically three P's to write on your notes there if you'd like. This could help you. And it's just so simple. Just simple principles from God's Word. First P is priority. Priority. No matter how rich or poor you feel, right now is the time to be generous. See, here's the deal. If you wait until you're rich, you'll never start. Right? Because we already... We already said rich is a moving target. Like when I'm rich, I'm going to give. When I'm rich, I'm going to be generous. Well, actually you're not. Now, statistics tell us that the richer people get, the less they give percentage based. And it's just, it's a provable stat. The richer people are, the lower percentage of income they give away. Generosity isn't dependent on your income. It begins wherever you are. And whenever God blesses you with income, let your first action, your first big rock that goes in the jar, be a gesture that acknowledges where it came from. And uh, every time, um, this for, since we've been married almost 20 years, every time we get paid, first thing we do, we write out the tithe check, or the giving check. And uh, it's first thing, it's just, a, just become a habit now. And, and so that's priority The next piece stands for percentage Percentage Jesus taught That it's not about the amount you give It's about the percentage That you give so I don't remember that talk Well do you remember when Jesus was standing by the treasury And yeah, people were coming in And the Pharisees were coming in And dumping a bag of money And another guy came in and dumped some silver And here came this widow Right all hunched over Bent over and uh, she pulled out her two mites and dropped them in. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I want you guys to notice something. Hey, clue in. Here's a big truth. That's what he said, kind of. He said, listen, she just gave more than all of them. What? Jesus, wait a second. Could we press rewind? That guy dumped a whole bag of money. She gave two pennies. Yeah, she gave more than all of them. Because Jesus said that giving is percentage-based. It's not whether you gave God a tip. It's percentage-based. And so the widow gave more than all of them. And so choose a percent that you're going to prioritize. Now, I already said I believe 10% is a great place to start biblically. But start somewhere and give based on percentage. Say, Pastor, I'm just not a tithe person. All right, we'll do 3%. Choose a percent. That you're going to give as a priority every time God gives you resources. You know what? You're going to start seeing your life change. Because your priorities have now said, I release ownership and give it to God. And I say, God, you're the owner. You're the owner of everything. And then there's this last P. And it stands for progressive giving. Progressive giving. Um, You, you ever... Anybody ever have a, a buildup in your immune system or whatever to antibiotics and they don't work for you anymore? Right? And they say you need to change them up or you need to take an extra dose. That happens to people, right? Um, it's kind of like giving in a certain way. If you want to guard yourself against the love of money in your life, you should consider this one of progressive giving. Over time you raise the percentage. And if you've never given based on a percentage for an ex- extended period of time, you might not realize that giving 10%, really it soon becomes comfortable. And comfortable is also vulnerable. Your heart is vulnerable. And, it, and so, like that bacteria we talked about, it becomes tolerant of antibiotics. And so you've got to raise the dose. Giving is the vaccine against the disease of greed. That's what it is. It's a vaccine against getting greedy. And it's not because God needs your stuff. It's because God needs your hearts. And and so he wants us to have this priority in our lives. It's percentage-based. It's progressive. Generosity isn't just something you do when you have more. It's something you practice constantly so you'll know what to do when you have more. See, God, He'll give you more, but you gotta know what to do with it when you get it. I'd like, you to, I'd like to read you a promise from God's word as we close. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. A New Testament giving, if you study it, I believe that God wants us to use the tithe as a foundation or a base, but to quickly move beyond it. And if you've been at 10% for five years or seven years, I'd encourage you this year, say, you know what? Let's go for 11%. Let's try 11% out and see, see what happens to our hearts. Or maybe let's go up to 12%. And you say, Pastor, we don't have the money to go to 12%. Well, you didn't have the money to go to 10% either. But God is the one who, who stewards you as you steward His resources. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. This is such a foundational New Testament passage. Verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So this is ahead of time. I'm going to make this a priority. Soon as God gives me something, here's what I'm going to do. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. It's a great passage. I hope you'll study it. But those, those three are they're, they're so practical, and I hope they're helpful to you. As we close, out, I want to go back to the theme of the message. Here's what it is. When God has you, he has your time. When God has you, he has your testimony. When God has you, he has your talents. And when God has you, he has your treasure. So here's the question as we finish up today. Does God have you? That's how simple it is. Does God have you? See, stewardship, it's a lot easier when you've given God your heart. When you say, God, I'm going to try my best to give you some time this year. I'm going to try to tweak out some giving this year. Doesn't work as well. Why don't you just give God you? Say, God, here I am. Uh, I'm giving me today. Yeah, that's what I encourage you to do during this time of invitation. There may be someone here who's, who's never received Jesus as your Savior. And in a minute, you could come and we could take the Word of God and show you how you could know to do that. But if you're a Christian here today, I don't think there's any of us that it would hurt at all for us to recommit our lives to Christ and say, God, you have me. You got all of me. And stewardship's not going to be a big deal to me because I'm giving me. Me. I'm going to give me. That includes my time. It includes the abilities you've given me. It includes my testimony. It includes it all. Because you've got me. Let's bow. Father, we didn't ask for any hands raised. We didn't ask for anybody to signify that they affirm this message. But we pray that right now that the Holy Spirit of God would affirm this message in our hearts. That we would be a congregation, a body of believers that would be willing as individuals and families just to come before your throne today, whether it's at the altar or kneeling at a seat or just sitting there and just say, God, you have me. It's that simple. I'm giving myself. That includes all the stuff, all the resources, every valuable thing in my life. God, you have me. I pray that that would be our heart. That would be our prayer. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand?